That's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. Light. Losing my religion. Yeah. Trying to keep up with you. And I don't know if I can do it. Oh no, I've said too much. I haven't said enough. And welcome to the weird. There is our new opening. I nailed it. I just wrote that. I just wrote that two minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you should put on some fake angel wings and just pace around the room and I'll film it. Look in the camera, buddy. I'm wearing them right now. So were you planning that all week? No, I literally planned that 30 seconds before we started recording. But you were reading the lyrics. I saw you. Yeah. I, that when I said, oh, wait, I need to do something. I was pulling up the lyrics. <laughs> But isn't that like a song that people from your generation just know? Mm -hmm. Like, don't you know all the lyrics to Creep and stuff like that? You know, it's interesting. That is one of the songs that I I probably could have just gone off memory. And yeah, I listened to that a lot, a lot in the 90s. That was 90s, right? Or late 80s? No, that's definitely 90s. Well, R.E.M. is a band that I think came together in the 80s. But they're synonymous with the 90s. Out of the Georgia rock scene. Was it? Yeah. I love Everybody Hurts Mm. is an iconic song. Automatic for the People, I would argue, is one of the greatest albums of all time. Were you into OK Computer? I liked them, Radiohead, but I I wasn't as into them as others. Like, I wouldn't say that they were my band, but I liked it. Yes. Yes, I did. I find Radiohead challenging. Yeah. It's hard. It's not something that you're going to listen to while you're cooking or hanging out on the deck, but it's, I I appreciate the music. Creep is a wonderful song. Oh, it's a great song. It is an amazing song. Yeah. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. This is one of the rare occasions when we're recording in daylight hours. Good listener. When we are recording this, it's the afternoon. I know on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. So I will not need to use, I have a special uh, contraption that I use to zap Riley awake normally when we're recording. So this is going to be very exciting because I can just focus on giving you the best possible story and not keeping my senior, and I underline the word senior, friend awake. Hey, isn't that great? Riley, I feel like for this whole season, I've been bringing up dark stories, as I mentioned in a in a recent episode. You've been very dark-sided this season so far, Dan. And I feel like that's... Uh, you're, it's like a window to my soul that you're, you're looking into when that happens. I, maybe I'm having dark thoughts. Maybe I'm about to turn into something I didn't fathom before. Well, and honestly, like you, you haven't been in the happiest headspace lately. Either. No, I haven't. <laughs> As I laugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's also things that I found interesting. Now, I am going to try to rectify that situation with the story I bring to you today. Did you ever watch that series, Rectify? No, I did not. Okay. It was a very interesting little TV series. I think it ran four seasons. Very dark. What's it about? It's about a guy who returns to his hometown after being convicted of a very bad crime. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Very very satisfying show and also very, very bleak. Can I just say very unsatisfying ending? Uh, I just finished season three of American Gods and... It had so much promise to be such a brilliant show and they canceled it after the third season. And in no way is it like an ending for the show. It reminded me almost of Carnival, which I think you and I have talked about in the past. Oh, that was bad. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, oh my God, you can't, you can't leave us hanging. But yeah, it's the same idea. And it's Neil Gaiman, right? It's based on Neil Gaiman's Mm -hmm. story. And and so he's still trying to push to see if another platform will, will finish the story. But it was so it was so wonderful. There were so many great parts to it. It was very progressive. And they canceled it. But I wouldn't recommend it to anyone because you're not getting an ending. Yeah, you'll just walk away really unsatisfied. Yep. All right. So the story I'm going to tell today is actually from one of our listeners who suggested this several months ago. It might have even been over a year ago. And I tried to find this message that we had received and I couldn't. So I can't credit the person who gave this story idea. However, if it's you, could you let me know so that I can thank you in a future episode for providing this? Because I had never heard of this story before. 
and I'm not sure I would have found it without your help. So again, if you're the person who sh- who gave me this idea, please let me know or let right like let the show know, uh, and we will uh, thank you because it's it's we love that type of contribution to the show. You okay with that, Riley, or do you feel sort of like? No, no, no. I feel, you know what I was just thinking, it most likely is a person who maybe had a Facebook account because we get up most of our messages through that, unfortunately, through that um, oh, yeah. portal. Maybe they just deleted their account. That's been happening a lot lately. And well, and this is an interesting thing. We will, uh, we are actually in the process of finally developing a website where you'll find all of our shows, all of our pictures. We will finally have merchandise available uh, on there. And that will be a way that you can easily, uh, you know, email us and and without having to use a social media platform that let's face it, they're kind of evil, right? They are. And I'm, I'm over Facebook. I just wish that I just wish that one of the other platforms satisfied the same kind of um, need that Facebook does, because I don't really like Twitter. I just find it venomous. Oh. And Instagram is a bit weird for me. It doesn't quite fill the same just pictures yeah. facebook did so but the good thing about our website is we will also have a page featuring dan's entire back catalog of all the adult films that he did in the early 90s so i'm really happy about that hot for porcupine well and the flesh musket one two and three will be there yeah and we're working on trying to get the fourth but the rights are currently being held in uzbekistan and it's difficult dealing with that film, bo- that film regulatory body to get the work out. And it's a drag because I know Flesh Mus- Musket 4 got really good reviews. It did. Yes. Daryl down at um, the uh, skin shop, uh, he gave it uh, four wangs up. <laughs> four wangs. Did you just make that up? Yep. That was some good comedy there, brother. Some good comedy. All right. Let's get into our story. I think this this episode has the potential to be four wangs up. Daryl, if you're listening, let us know. I love that. All right. So, Riley, we're we're actually yes. going to travel not far from where you last left us in West Texas. Mm. Uh, we're going to uh, Northern California. And in Northern California, there's a dormant volcano that has unsettled many and drawn many more to it for thousands of years. The 14,179-foot Mount Shasta, which, by the way, that's freaking huge. Like, that's Alp high. Mm-hmm. It, I, I was shocked when I heard how, how tall it was. And it's also the name of a very famous beverage from the 70s. Shasta? Yeah, Shasta was a cola. Oh. See, I grew up in the States, so it's probably an American thing. But Shasta was, it good? It was cola. Like tab? Like a yeah, or, or RC Cola or all the other sort of, you know, the second tier colas, I guess we could call those. Yeah. Right. So this Mount Shasta has been the source of legends, sightings of the unknown, and a spiritual hotspot. Very similar, Riley, I think, a bit, to Skinwalker Ranch. Ah, okay. This is like a, a mecca for the weird. Love it. So, Riley, come along with me. And you too, good listener, if you dare, as we explore the hidden depths and cloudy heights of this truly weird place. <laughs> I wrote that myself. But <laughs> eh? that, that it took you all morning, too. It did. It did. Well, right, 15 minutes before. It's usually when I start writing these things. So, all right, I'm going to start at the beginning. Let's start at the very beginning. Oh. A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Z. Do, Re, Mi. You don't know the sound of music? I've heard music. (laughs) Jesus. So there are dozens of stories, legends, and myths surrounding Mount Shasta, adding to its mystery and allure that date back thousands of years. Local tribes in the area see the mountain as the center of the universe and integral to their creation myths. Mount Shasta sits on the territories held by the Shasta, the Wintu, the Achamawi, the Atsugui, and the Modoc tribes. The Wintu tribe worships Mount Shasta, tracing their origins to a spring at the peak. Kalian Sisk, the Wintu's tribe, current tribe leader, shared that we came out of that mountain, so we're obligated to be the watchers of the mountain. One legend recounts a feud between two volcanoes, Mounts Shasta and Mazama, and the gods Skell and Laoyana, 
who inhabited them. Laoyana was an evil god and Skell was their protector and kind of like the, you know, the, the one god that these people worship. It is said that the two gods hurled rocks at each other, creating the Crater Lake, where the people later came from. And according to ancient origins, only medicine men and women were allowed to climb the mountain in ancient times to harness its powerful energies and prevent harmful spirits from attacking people. Ah. The mountain to this day is revered and held sacred by these people, a feeling even people who do not share their belief system still feel. One of the cool things, there's so many different things to unpack about this place. So where I'd like to start is we, sometimes where we end when we like, well, what are the theories behind this? It's UFOs. This oh. place is huge. There are thousands of accounts of people citing UFOs. Okay. This is area. going in a completely different direction than I thought, because when you first started talking about the, the belief system and the gods, I thought this was going to be like, you know, ancient history, prehistoric. No, God. no, no. It's. I only bring that up because it, it's legacy has been like, it, this has been a special place for thousands of years. Everyone who goes there claims it's just different. There's a different energy there than you would find elsewhere. Exciting. So the site has been a hotbed for sightings of the unknown. UFO reports in the area exploded in the 1950s and persist to the day. In fact, to the point where some people refer to it as the new Roswell. Wow. Thousands of people have sighted what appears to be a large disc-like craft hovering over the mountain and the surrounding area. And when I say large, I mean like huge. Think Independence Day or V, like the, this giant, not like a, a solo craft, but like a huge type ship. Some have even recorded and photographed it. So again, if you search this up online, Mount Shasta UFOs, you'll see lots of images and even video of, of the crafts. In 2008, the Mount Shasta Herald reported that five people claimed to have witnessed a jellyfish-like craft that hovered noiselessly over neighboring McLeod with what appeared to be a fire raging inside it. I wonder, when you said that, a jellyfish-like craft, immediately what came to mind is the giant mothership from Close Encounters. And in- Yeah, that's another right? one. Exactly. I wonder if that inspired the design of that craft because it looked like a giant jellyfish. It did. You're right. Exactly. You're cool. right. Cool. That is so cool. So a lifelong resident of the area, Dick Carey, uh, told the newspaper, I really don't believe in flying saucers, but I do know that something weird was happening. The latest viral sensation from the area has been a UFO-shaped object that appeared in the skies above Mount Shasta on the morning of February 12th, 2020. However, upon closer look, this was not an alien spaceship, but a beautiful lenticular cloud. Uh, the kind that is often shaped like a UFO or, as I, I read this description, a lentil, uh, depending on your perspective, of course. <laughs> uh, it was so convincing, however, like this thing looked real that the U.S. Forest Service had to deny its extraterrestrial origins in a statement. And uh, the, the, they went on to describe that the flying saucer lens shape of these clouds is caused, there's a, a scientific explanation and it usually involves mountains uh, where on the downside, downwind side of the mountain with moisture. I'm not going to get into the science of it, but it creates these really peculiar looking and, and they are quite beautiful. And if you look up lenticular clouds, they're, they're really quite something. And you could see how some people would think maybe that that is a, uh, a spaceship, but that was just that one. And there's a lot of people who say, no, no, these weren't clouds. They were moving. And there's video of these things moving, not like clouds, right? They're not drifting across the sky They're So there's, Certainly ones that are described as hovering, but there's some that are moving, etc. Okay. So again, lots, you go to a Reddit, you can read tons of accounts of these things and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Now, this is where things start to get really weird. We're going to move off the UFOs here. Probably one of the strangest legends of Mount Shasta is the story of Guy Ballard, a businessman who went on to found a religious movement called I Am Activity. Because when I think of you know, if I were to create a religion, it would be a statement like that. That doesn't really make <laughs> sense. 
<laughs> it is weird, isn't it? It is. Have you heard of it? Never. No. Okay. Ballard hiked up Mount Shasta in the 1930s and encountered a mysterious figure who called himself Count St. Germain. Now, what's interesting about this, Count St. Germain is an actual sort of obscure and very weird historical figure. Uh, the actual count was a European adventurer with an interest in science, alchemy, and the arts. And he achieved prominence in European high society in the mid-1700s, so like a long time ago. Prince Charles of Hesse-Cassel considered him, though, to be one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived. St. Germain used a variety of names and titles and accepted practice amongst royalty and nobility at the time. So this wasn't necessarily weird. Um, like he had names like, and I'm going to say, I wasn't going to list them, but then they're fun to say. So I'm going to go ahead. The Marquis de Montferrand, Comte Bellemare, Chevalier Schoenig, Count Weldon, Comte Sotokov, Graf Sagrogi and Prince Ragoski. Okay, before you go any farther, when you went through that list and all of a sudden Count Weldon, I just picture him. Hey, everybody, I'm Count Weldon. I brought homemade cookies for all of you. He's really out of shape and has a cart that it has to be pulled around in all the time with squeaky wheels. Count <laughs> Weldon. Does anyone have marmalade? All right. So what's strange, though, is that no one really knows where this guy came from. And he made a lot of really strange claims, such as being 500 years old and being this sort of eternal being. Uh, Voltaire, the famous philosopher, actually, he commented on him and, and, and sarcastically dubbed him the Wonder Man. And he and, and said he is a man who does not die and knows everything. <laughs> and I think he made that little smirky laugh. So strange historical little side note. And whether it's the same being or not, I don't know. So uh, his real name is unknown. Uh, no one actually knows where uh, he where he was born or what his background is. Uh, some think he might actually be a Transylvanian prince, but who knows? So back to Mount Shasta. Ballard St. Germain claimed, again, this strange, almost surreal big man, uh, claimed that he'd become what was called an ascended master of the great white brotherhood who had mastered the physical plane and no longer had to go through the birth-death cycle. So they believed in reincarnation. Everyone is continually reincarnated. Right. Unless you become ascended, then you no longer need to go through that process. Many occultists believe that this order of spiritual beings guides the overall destiny of humankind and speaks through human messengers. Writing under the name Godfrey Ray King, Ballard compiled his experiences in a book called Unveiled Mysteries, published in 1934, and he afterward claimed to receive regular messages termed discourses from St. Germain and other masters. Because one of the masters from whom Ballard received dictations was the Jesus, our, uh, the Jesus we all know and love, members of the I Am movement considered themselves Christian. The Ballards claimed to have received more than 3,000 messages which formed the body of the movement's teachings. And Ballard, by the way, believed he was the reincarnation of, guess, Riley, who do, who do you think he, he thought he used to be? Count St. Germain? No, because he was ascended, so it would be Jesus. No. Well, who else would it be? I don't know. One more guess. You got one more guess. You better well, make this that, a good I guess. don't know. You've got, you, you, come on, it's obvious. No, it's not obvious. One more guess. I said Jesus. I said- Five. Four. I don't know. Three. Two, you're getting so nervous. If you can see his face right now, he actually looks put out. Of course, Riley, he believes he's reincarnated from George Washington. Come on. I'm sure all the listeners were thinking, Riley, it's Washington. What a weird thing to be reincarnated at. I know. Oh. That's why I went through that whole process with you. Maybe he had wooden teeth as well. Did you know that George Washington? I, I know. Be? He had a terrible time with corn. Yeah. Oh, God. Poor guy. Uh, I am activity gained around a million followers. And remember, this is before the time of like any real sort of viable mass communication tools. The telephone I have to look it up. Even, 
a real thing. Yeah, it still exists. But following Ballard's death in 1939, his wife and son were charged with fraud and the group fell out of favor. There are still IAM activity sites operating on Mount Shasta to this day, including Riley, you'll be happy to know, an amphitheater. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, maybe maybe your show after you're done the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, you can go do that show there. Yeah, and I've become IM Theater. Oh, look at that. It'll be a branch. It'll be like, oh, it'll be a great uh, uh, rift between the IM activity people. Some will stay activity. Some will stay theater. Oh my God. It's like the Reformation. All right. So. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In 1934, an eccentric elderly Englishman popped up in the city of Stockton, California. The man claimed to be a millionaire and refused to give his real name, going by J.C. Brown instead. Brown told the townspeople that he discovered a lost city in nearby Mount Shasta. Since the early 20th century, this mountain was rumored to be the home of the Lemurians, an enlightened race that has been prominent in the lore of New Age and mystical circles. Have you heard oh, of them? Yeah, yeah, of course. I had yeah. never heard of them. There's science fiction books written about the Lemurians. Yes. And I'll get into this a little bit later, but but the origins of all this, but we'll keep on J.C. Brown here. Brown claimed that an ancient Lemurian village was hidden in Mount Shasta and that he'd found a cave in the mountain that led to the place's ruins. Local newspaper, the Stockton Record, featured a transcript of Brown's discovery in his own words. And remember, he's English. So I'm going to piss off our English listeners again and do an English accent. Here we go. Two rooms, about 12 by 20 feet, were filled with copper and gold tablets, about 3 by 4 inches in concave, so that one laid inside the other. The rooms were literally full of these plates, inscribed neatly. Another room contained many weapons. The tempered copper spears were so that one could bend the head of the weapon to the base of the shaft, and it would spring back into place. There were streets laid out in the village. In one long room were laid at angles to the wall 27 skeletons, the smallest of which was 6 feet 6 inches, and the tallest more than 10 feet in another room lay, apparently embalmed by some secret process, the bodies of a man and woman dressed in royal robes, whom I believe were the king and queen of this race. The worship room was beautiful to behold. There on the walls were three great crosses, not of the conventional modern type, and a sun designed, worked in copper and gold. The streamers from the sun were worked in gold stringers. There were, I believe, Thirteen statues made of copper and gold. I believe this race of people forms an important link in ancient American civilization. They were highly skilled craftsmen, as their work shows, because they, there was a, a glow to three of these statues. I believe they used radium, and I believe it was with the use of radium that they tempered copper. Brown was eager to properly excavate the site. Originally, he wanted his family to help him, but each of his relatives died one after the other. He had come to appeal to the people of Stockton because he was willing to share the treasure he supposedly had found. Ah, okay. Even though Brown had not a shred of evidence, aside from some pictures he claimed were in a bank, a bank vault in Texas, over 80 people agreed to join his expedition. Over a period of six weeks, Brown and his followers met twice every day to discuss their plan. He promised to start the expedition on June 18, 1934, when his followers would all meet at the house of John C. Root, a member of Brown's party. On the fateful day, Brown told everyone to meet at Root's house at 1 p.m. Brown, who was at the house, left it early in the morning, but didn't return in the afternoon. He never returned, period. While his followers waited some until the next morning, J.C. Brown was never seen again. Now, did he skip town? Was he kidnapped by someone and caught up in foul play? The authorities were just as curious to know, yet they weren't any better at tracking Brown down. And suspiciously, Brown was supposed to bring pictures of his evidence to one of the expedition members, but vanished before he could show them. Now, it'd be easy to just sort of say, well, he was a scam artist, right? I was just, I was just about to say that. And just as he's about to deliver the goods, he disappears. But unlike a typical scam artist, 
and this is what I find weird about this account. Brown never took any money from his followers ever. Okay. And there was never any like down the road you're going to need to, or it was come if you want to be a part of this, I need your help. We'll do this together. That was the the basic messaging that Brown was giving uh, people. He spent six weeks hyping the expedition up, planning every little detail and never once did he ask for anything from anybody. So it begs the question, why would Brown devote so much time to what would then just be a hoax? Maybe he was a narcissist. But still, maybe. Weird. I've, I've never heard of a narcissist putting on that type of hoax. Maybe. I guess. It could be. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. On the other hand, perhaps he met foul play before he could actually con anybody out of their money, right? So maybe it was coming. Maybe someone got wind of it and someone knocked him off. The Stockton record notes that Brown lived, this is interesting, that Brown lived in a federal shelter as an amnesia victim uh, before he arrived in Stockton. So there's also the theory that he was mentally ill or or just delusional, right? Mm-hmm. At any rate, while his body might have disappeared, J.C. Brown entered Mount Shasta lore as another legend. And I, oh, and I wanted to say about the the federal shelter, there's people who've pointed at that saying, well, how would they know that if no one actually knows who he is? If he was using an alias, then how, maybe there was another J.C. Brown in, in a federal shelter, but it might not be the same person. Right, Because right, this guy had an English, it was an old Englishman who seemed to be very lucid and, and put together. How could that be the same person, right? So just to kibosh that a little bit. His story then became exaggerated with some claiming that Brown was killed by the government or the Lemurians themselves. His identity to this day is still unknown. Back in the early 2010s, a writer and YouTuber named Stephen Sindoni came up with the idea that Brown was a retired mining engineer named John Benjamin Brody. This Brody, who did exist, had family in Stockton, and his background was similar to Brown's, but not, uh, I guess there was some English heritage there. But Sindoni has also uh, made some pretty wild claims about Mount Shasta. Uh, in fact, that he's also seen the opening to the Lemurian village, so it his claims should also be taken maybe with a bit of grain of salt. So this takes us to the biggest and sort of, I think the the biggest story with Mount Shasta and it's the Lemurians themselves. Who are they and what are they all about? Are you asking me that? Mm -hmm. Because again, I didn't do my research. I stopped here. I was watching uh, an old episode of Three's Company and I got lost in it and, you know, 92 episodes later, I realized we're recording. I have nothing left. Oh, I know which one it was. It's got to be the one where Larry was dating that stewardess. It was over 92 episodes. It was the only sort of epic storyline. Is Larry going to finally put a ring on that finger? Yeah, and he proposed to her at the Regal Beagle. And then he realized it was Mr. Roper all along. Norman fell. All right. What am I on today? It's the afternoon sun, Riley. So- Who are they? What are they all about? The legend says that somewhere deep beneath Mount Shasta, there is a complex of tunnels and a hidden city called Telos, the ancient city of light for the Lemurians. Telos is a Greek term that was used by Aristotle to refer to the intentional actualization of potential or inherent purpose or objective of a person or thing. So similar to the notion of an end goal or raison d'etre. Rightly, which is French, French for um, end goal. No, it's not. But it's on death. Re- reason for, for reason being, for being, yeah, for existing, yeah. This is sort of going to tie now into some of the things you were talking about with the the sci-fi literature, and it, so the origin of all that comes from uh, Frederick Spencer Oliver, who claimed in the 1880s that an ancient native of Lemuria had used him as a channel to write a manuscript that described a buried city with walls polished as by jewelers, though excavated by giants, and that this civilization could be found in Mount Shasta. Residents who say they speak for the inhabitants of that underground realm have since multiplied. Oliver, and I quote, was the earliest channel in this area, said historian William Mice, who put together a vast bibliography of primary sources on the mountain and its lore for the College of Siskiosis. Now, Mice said, you can hardly miss a channel walking down Main Street. In a 1932 Los Angeles Times Magazine article, Edward Lancer wrote of seeing Mount Shasta ablaze with a strange reddish-green light from the window of his Oregon-bound train. Lemurians, a fellow passenger confided. Returning to explore the legend further, 
Lancer was told that tall men from a sunken civilization were known to patronize local stores, buying enormous quantities of sulfur as well as a great deal of salt. And I say, well, who doesn't go do that? <laughs> when I go out, I need to get me at least five, six, seven pounds of sulfur. And salt. Well, yeah, that goes without saying, right? Okay. In a stroke of fortune for the Mount Shasta economy, the items were always paid with gold nuggets and the gold always far exceeded the value of the merchandise being bought. So what exactly is a Lemurian? In 1864, zoologist Philip Sclatter published an article about a classification of species called lemurs in which he was puzzled by the presence of their fossils in both Madagascar and India but not in Africa or the Middle East, the parts, the the land bridges between those two places. He hypothesized that Madagascar and India had once been a part of a larger continent, which was the first theory leading to the discovery of the ancient supercontinent Pangaea, which we know now exists. Yes. Following this scientific discovery, the concept of Lemuria began to appear in the works of other scholars. Ernst Haeckel looked for the missing link in this area proposing, and by missing link, I mean the the link between our current skeletal, what do we call homo We're homo sapiens. Like it's the link between homo, homo sapiens and- And prehistoric man. Yeah. They've been looking for that for years. They haven't found it. Yeah. So he, he proposed that the fossils of the first humans sunk under the sea and that this is why the link is still missing. But some proposed the lost land went somewhere else. So fast forward to 1899, when our good friend- Frederick Spencer Oliver published A Dweller on Two Planets, a book which claimed that survivors from a sunken continent called Lemuria were living in Mount Shasta. In the book, Lemurians lived in a series of complex tunnels beneath the mountains. Locals would sometimes see the creatures wandering outside the mountain in white robes. Then, in 1931, Harvey Spencer Lewis, using the pseudonym Visor Spindly Survey, wrote a book about the hidden Lemurians of Mount Shasta. Whoa. Visor? Spindly what? Survey. That was the name that he used? Mm-hmm. It rolls right off the tongue. Visor Spindly Survey. Yes. Whatever. Okay, continue. I need to process that. It's going to take okay? a couple of days. We could just pause things and just sort of allow you to process that. How does that make you feel inside What a weird name. Like I want to see that in print. Well, and it's spelled W. I-S-A-R, that's Viser, or it could be Wiser. Spinley is spelled S-P-E-N-L-E. Oh, Spinley, okay. And survey, I'm I'm saying, well, I'm saying survey, uh, C-E-R-V-E. So it could also be, it could also be Wiser Spinla Serve. There's no accent on the E at the end of no. survey? No. Weird name, eh? Yeah, it is a weird name. So he wrote a book about the hidden Lemurians of Mount Shasta. Uh, and, and again, this book is widely regarded as the reason for the popularity of the legends of Lemurians in the area. And then the following science fiction that's come from it. Uh, there have been many accounts of run-ins with Lemurians or other mysterious beings on Mount Shasta, none of which, though I should note, have been substantiated. Uh, the two earliest ones, are, of course, would be like J.C. Brown, and then others would say as well Guy Ballard with um, seeing Count St. Germain that these were Lemurians. Uh, The belief in Lemuria in Mount Shasta and subsequent witness accounts have been incorporated into numerous occult religions, including I Am Activity, but also these, you know, very popular faiths, the Summit Lighthouse, Church Universal and Triumphant, and Cryon, which, Riley, I think many people would agree you should really try Cryon out. I'm sorry. I'm stuck on <laughs> Jesus church universal and triumphant yes very popular oh god it's so pretentious and what was the first one uh the first summit lighthouse which I, I that's a, is very new age sounding but it it sounds like someplace you go for addiction treatment <laughs> yes it does doesn't it? doesn't it though like yeah I know not to laugh at that process but you're right it does have that sort of no I'm not like, laughing at the process here because but- we're safely guide you on your way. Yeah, it's like I, I spent three months at Summit Lighthouse and I'm I'm feeling the best I've ever I've ever felt. But doesn't Cryon sound like they wear like shitty 1950s space what they would think of yes. like space aliens wearing and And they all have a crystal around their neck. Like well it's funny that you say that because crystals are a huge thing in this area. They're really important crystals. 
Okay. Like really important. I'm probably going to get ahead of myself here a little bit, but they're they're the main one of the main ways to to commune with the Lemurians. These channelers use crystals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all of these witness accounts seem to happen uh, seem to have happened only after the the different like the book was published and and the other stories emerged. So there's nothing like this coming from the indigenous peoples, which I think is kind of important. Yeah. The indigenous community would have their finger on the pulse of what was going on in that area. If anybody's exactly. going to know what's going on, it would be them. Yeah, that's right. Well, because they're very tied to the land. They respect the land. They know the land, right? And the only thing you could say about that that might be the retort there is, well, maybe the people that they worshipped as gods were these Lemurians, right? right? The whole concept is out there, I think, but it's, I mean, I guess it's still possible. Mm-hmm. So there are still many people that hang around Mount Shasta with beliefs of Lemuria. Um, according to the Lemurian Connection, the history of Lemuria goes back to 4.5 billion years, uh, or sorry, 4.5 billion BC when the civilization ruled the earth. So the continent of Lemuria was located, as we talked about before, in the Pacific Ocean and extended from Western United States and Canada to lands in the in the Indian Ocean and Madagascar, kind of where Pangaea was. By the way, do you know that Pangaea is responsible for like the Himalayas? No, it's that I didn't continent know that. pushing pushing up against that other con that, that other tectonic plate that's created these like very high and and relatively new mountains. Right, they haven't been worn down by ice ages and stuff like that. So then. 25,000 years ago, Atlantis and Lemuria were the two most highly advanced civilizations on Earth. And that's when things went south. So here is the explanation from LemuriaConnection.com. So, dissension between the two, Atlantis and Lemuria, arose regarding the development and evolution of other civilizations. The Lemurians believed that the other less evolved cultures should be left alone to continue their own evolution at their own pace according to their own understandings and pathway, whereas the Atlanteans believed that less evolved cultures should be controlled by the two more evolved civilizations. Their argument over ideologies resulted in several thermonuclear wars which weakened both continental plates. When the wars were over and the dust had settled, there were no winners, only death, destruction, and further debasing of the human spirit to the point that both sides realized the futility of such behavior. So the Lemurians decided to build a separate society inside Mount Shasta where they would be safe from any disruptions on the surface of the earth. The city of Telos was built inside Mount Shasta and was designed to house 200,000 Lemurians. And today it is believed that Telos houses 1.5 within its confines. Modern day beliefs say that Lemuria can be felt and contacted through spiritual practices the Lemurians were a highly evolved spiritual race, so they can be contacted through spiritual message, messages from believers. And as we were just previously talking about, it's believed that they use crystals as these communication tools. Modern day believers say the Lemurians programmed these crystals to teach their messages of oneness and healing. It's kind of nice. It is actually very nice. So crystals are, are are revered, and if you go to Mount Shasta, you will find in the in the town lots of opportunities to buy them at the local gift shops. <laughs> of course, the physical uh-huh. appearance of Lemurians has been debated for years. Some believe Lemurians look like highly evolved humans, sort of like what Ballard saw with Count Saint Germain, while others believe they have more animalistic qualities. Universally, they are believed to be much taller beings than us. Today, many people continue to flock to Mount Shasta in search of Lemurians and the spiritual enlightenment of Mount Shasta. So has anyone recently had any contact with Lemurians? Zach O'Brien has been working on compiling all the legends surrounding Mount Shasta on his website, Active NorCal, which I believe Riley would be short for Northern California. Mm -hmm. One reader, Lowell Johnson, sent him the following story that O'Brien found really, really interesting and sort of stuck out from all the others. Uh, He posted this very brief comment and it says, I came across your article today and I I thought I'd respond. I'm a regular guy who visited Mount Shasta in July and August this past summer. I was as skeptical as anyone until I was invited to see inside uh, Telos for myself. Do what you wish with the information, but I saw for myself that it exists and soon they will make themselves known to the rest of the surface humans. 
Lowell followed that comment up with a more detailed version on Zach's YouTube site, which had a link to this guy's uh, blog post. So it's 40kft view, so 40kfootview.com, and in which he, he, he talks about how he visited Mount Shasta in July 2020 and hiked up the mountain via Panther Meadows. He goes on to say when he sat down to enjoy water and grapes, his phone unexpectedly shut off. And that's when things got interesting. According to Johnson, an opening appeared in the mountain and a tall blonde man named Alex appeared to him and offered to show him Telos. <laughs> I giggled too. I read that. That his name is Alex? Yeah. yeah. Tall blonde man named Alex. Oh, that's very funny. That's very funny. It's like when you get phone operators from other countries who've obviously taken on North American names just to try to make everything easier. Well, well yeah. What's interesting about this is that it's in quotations like, I don't think Johnson believed his name was Alex either. Did he share his water and grapes? I wonder. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So then they boarded a levitating platform as Alex gave him a tour of the underground city, showing him the buildings and white pyramid in the middle, along with a tour of the different levels. The large percentage of people lived on the first level in most of the city with public buildings, administration, and several temples. The second level was production, manufacturing, and schooling facilities. The fifth level was dedicated to nature, trees, lakes, and a park-like atmosphere, along with plants and animals that disappeared from the surface long ago. Every sentient being, including animals, uh, were vegetarian and they did not eat each other. They were totally harmonious with no fear or aggression. He also described seeing drawings etched in the crystal walls of the city, similar to ones he saw in the Blue Star Child Gallery in Mount Shasta. And upon inquiring about this, Alex <laughs> told him, said that he, he knew the proprietor, Haruko, and that her drawings were inspired what, by what she saw in Telos. Mm -hmm. Finally, the Lemurians revealed to Johnson why they brought him. To, and I, I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at the guy. He, he's very harmless. And maybe it's true. Finally, the Lemurians revealed to Johnson why they brought him to Telos. And I quote, The most important revelation this group agreed with, what belief I held up to that moment as a strong theory, was that Earth's ascension would manifest during the winter solstice this year. Shia Ma explained to me that we were beginning preparations for the event. When humans ascend into fifth dimensional awareness, the Lemurians would make themselves known to us where we could exchange all manner of experience and knowledge from both realms that would benefit all. Adama spoke next and said he represented the unanimous consent of the council in this matter and hoped that I would agree to assist when the time came. Claiming to experience the entire Lemurian experience in little over an hour, Johnson received a grand tour of Telos, along with the revelation that he would assist the event that would bring humans and Lemurians back together again. And that event will apparently, Riley be happy to know happened very soon oh good yeah what is the truth here back in the 1800s a few scientists working from scant evidence decided there must have been a lost continent in the indian ocean and they called it lemuria we know this on this lost continent some even thought there once lived a race of now extinct humans called lemurians who had four arms and i love this and enormous hermaphroditic bodies both male and female uh, genitalia, but nevertheless are the ancestors of modern-day humans and perhaps also lemurs. Of course, modern science has long since debunked the idea of Lemuria altogether. But then in 2013, geologists discovered evidence of a lost continent precisely where Lemuria was said to have existed and the old theories started cropping up once again. I didn't realize this, by the way, that when we were kids, that Pangea was a theory did you know that? Like, I, I always thought it was true, but it was only until 2013 that it was like definitively proven to do exist still. I had never come across it in school. I remember learning about it in high school, which would have been the 1990s. Do you know my favorite thing about the story you just told is the fact that the Lemurians gave that chick's gallery a plug. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know. I just love I it. Oh, no, no, no. She's she's just painting what she's seen. They're really good paintings. They're exactly what Lemuria looks like. So, so go buy some. Please exit through the gift shop. Yeah. Pangea, or as some would argue, Lemuria, was discovered to exist. This sort of set off 
an explosion once again of people saying, well, it, it, it this might be Atlantis or this, which by the way, is it? I really, at some point we need to do Atlantis because it is on its own quite fascinating. Yeah. It's big. All right. Let's get back. Cause I'm about to wrap this puppy up. So geologists have now discovered, as we've talked about this lost continent in the Indian ocean, which has now led some to wonder if there might actually be a grain of truth to the story. And for me, that's, what's actually most interesting is if there are grains of truth, I know enough just from my, my readings and backgrounds about uh, Atlantis, which I found find so interesting about is I believe there are grains of truth to the, the legend of Atlantis, the sunken civilization. There's neat little tidbits that come out of history that suggest that maybe it did exist and maybe it really was a very advanced civilization. And it's the same with this. There could be hints of truth to it. Maybe the, the four-armed, 10-foot-tall uh, Lemurians living in Mount Shasta doesn't exist, but maybe there was an ancient civilization in that area that was very advanced. Who knows? Who knows? So it's hard to argue that Mount Shasta has an unexplainable aura to it. Many who visit describe its energy as palpable, making it no mystery that people believe there's something happening deeper below the surface or on its lofty heights. In the end, it's easy to admit there is something different about Mount Shasta, but without any sort of evidence, relying on only accounts from suspect witnesses, kooky cults, and science fiction writers, I think the land of Lemuria is one that lives in our minds and not in the deep tunnels of Mount Shasta. That being said, if it does exist, how cool would that be? Mm-hmm. It's these types of mysteries that make our world and this podcast fun. And that's that. And that is that. Well, that was a very interesting story. I have to go there now. You know what it kind of sounds like? I really like? want to go there too. Are you familiar with Glastonbury in the UK? I know. The, the, the music festival? Yeah, but it's also a hotbed of this. In Glastonbury, there's a very tall, very weird looking mountain, not mountain, even hill, called Glastonbury Tor. Okay. And the Glastonbury Tor, they believe, is a very spiritual place. And it kind of sounds like this. It has the same kind of, not not nearly as, as grand as, as your story with the Lemurians and everything, but it's kind of like that. My favorite part of it all is I am activity. Now I have to go and research that. What a <laughs> it's, ridiculous name. It's one of these places in the world that has a vibe to it. Skinwalker Ranch would be another, right? Mm-hmm. That's what came to mind when I was doing my research. Just so many strange things are attached to it. The fact that it is of very, uh, its spiritual significance is very important to the indigenous peoples of that land. To me, that's the thing that is most interesting. I find that fascinating. And it, and it didn't, in that way, it is sacred, you know? Yeah. Fascinating. I, you know I'm going to go research I Am Activity. You know what? I'm going to do a weird some night on weird cults. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll That'd pick be the weirdest one. ones too because be there's a very some... good one. Do, make sure that you get Cryon in there. Yeah. It's, well, how do you spell it? K-R-Y-O-N. Oh, it even is science fiction-y cool spelling. Yeah. Again, with all of this, like I, I don't have a problem with... Any of these beliefs, uh, like I kind of touched upon this, to each his own, right? And and what's nice about these, uh, the the sort of general belief about the Lemurians, it's people trying to find peace in their life. It's people trying to find meaning in their life. And at least it's not, it, it doesn't seem like, well, and, and maybe not with these other cults, but with the general belief system, it's not like a money grab, you know? And it, and it seems pretty like open and loving and caring, mm-hmm. unlike some other religions where it's, you know, wars are fought in its name. These people, you know, if they believe that, fine, right? We don't have to believe it. For them. I am so down with the peaceful religions, Dan. You have no idea. I, you know, you can be as out there as you want, but like some of these are lovely, just beautiful, you know, people just trying to find their way through the world. And I get it. The world is exhausting. It fucking wears you down. So if you need, you know, to go and, and live in a yurt and embrace the universe that way, please do. I'm all for it because fuck man, whatever it takes, you know, we're, we're all as a culture getting worn down. So I support it. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, let's wrap things up there with a nice little bow, Riley folks. Thank you for listening to the weird. If you enjoy our show, we'll say what we always say. 
please feel free to spread the word of the weird. And tell all your friends you give it four wangs up. Four wangs up. Just share that with everyone you know. If you're meeting with people uh, over, you know, the holidays coming up, please uh, tell your nan. Nan, I give this four wangs up. Maybe even five. It's good. Listen to it. Is there a five wangs up? Oh, there's five. Yeah. I'm being modest when I say four. Is that the top tier? That's top. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's something to strive for. If it was for. 10 wangs, that would be terrible. So five wangs is aspirational. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm, I'm going to strive to be a five wang kind of guy. Uh, folks, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for now. And uh, we, we encourage you to reach out to us with your uh, comments, with your suggestions for future shows yes. or just uh, overall praise of me over Riley. I really love when people diss you, Riley, and they, they don't do that. No one does that. Nobody's done that yet. I don't think we're controversial enough. No, we're not really controversial. Oh, no, no. There's pe- people that have been upset. We've had angry emojis. We have had some people uh, message us. And they get angry that they clicked the button to contact us and don't seem to understand. But that's nothing to do with the podcast. No, that's 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 right. That's advertising mechanics. People have been angry with us because we've advertised, which we're no longer doing actually through Facebook. No, we're not. They're not getting our money. But yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, no one hates you. I think I'm, I think I'm the bad guy in this relationship. Oh, I think we're equally vile. Yes, we are. We're disgusting. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, folks, for joining us on the ride as usual. We love you, and we love that you are there with us, um, and that's why we do this. So that's it, Dan. That was a great story. Thank you for that. Thank you, Riley. We'll see you here again next week for more weirdness. Good night, everybody. Bye. Ever notice how some colas have more bubbles than you really need? We did. So we made Shasta Cola a little bit different, with just enough bubbles instead of too many. So Shasta tickles your tummy instead of your nose.